championships how does this moment feel how does history feel for the Clemson Tigers well it's special and you know it's, it's kind of what this year's been all years it's been a historic year there's these guys have done things all year that have never been done or hadn't been done in forever and this was just another one of those things tonight and it was something that they really took a lot of pride in and uh, you know you can't be the best ever if you don't do things that ain't ever been done so it's a great accomplishment for our seniors their 53rd win in their career but I'm just so thankful for the, for the opportunity to be a part of it with them and, and to do my part. Our staff has been amazing, our fans. What an environment here tonight. And uh, hey, congratulations to Pitt. Uh, they worked their tails off to get here as well. But uh, this is special. I mean, it's special. You know, I was just saying 10 years ago tonight, uh, I got hired at Clemson and uh, we hadn't won a conference championship in 20 years at the time. And so now to be able to win four in a row 10 years later, you know, I just, I'm so thankful for all the teams and all the players because you can't win four in a row if you don't win one, two, and three. So there's a lot of, a lot of people have put a lot of work in to put us in this position and this team tonight took advantage of the opportunity. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Tuesday, December 4th, and the Clemson Tigers are once again ACC champs and heading back to the college football playoff after a 42-10 win over the weekend against the Pitt Panthers. Uh, they are also the first team in the conference's 66-season history to win four consecutive outright titles and the first Power 5 team to win four consecutive conference title games since Florida did it in the SEC back in 93-96. through 96. But best of all, there are no reports of it feeling like a loss. Ben, Cody, and Sam here with you guys today. We've got uh, the trifecta. We have a three-man episode for the first time in quite some time. Uh, Cody, you've been a bit AWOL. What you been up to, brother? You know, I haven't been doing much. A little travel for work, a little here, a little there. Uh, but I didn't get married or anything like that. There's really no excuse. So I'm just happy to be back. And um, here we are for the stretch run. So... And Sam, we're not going to talk much about this tonight, probably. We've got a lot to pack in here um, in hopefully under an hour. Basketball team not looking so good tonight. No, it was pretty ugly. Uh, we came out with a five-point win against St. Peter's, who was ranked, I think, 258th, according to Ken Palm, out of 353 in the country. Um, we're like 50th, 30th, something like that. So it was not a good showing for the Tigers The St. Peter's Roadrunners. Uh, peacocks. peacocks peacocks even worse yeah much worse uh they i think they're positioning themselves to be the next cox rival for are, us are they from the north at least they're from the northeast okay. yeah they're uh new york area at least they're not from the south or like the midwest or the, the 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 southwest go ahead cody sam i wanted to ask have you heard of this guy zion williamson he's play, playing for duke this year yeah i think i've heard of him once or twice he's supposed to be pretty good i don't know just curious if you heard of him okay and with that we're going to turn cody's mic off um, but let's talk some football, boys. Uh, a great weekend of football. The college football Final Four is set. Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma in that order. Um, first, we mentioned Clemson's 42-10 to win over Pitt. We're back in the 
college football playoff for the fourth year in a row. Dabo wins the ACC and National Coach of the Year. Um, you know, the first National Coach of the Year for uh, Clemson is Danny Ford last won it back in the championship season in 1981. And I have to say, this is uh, well earned by Dabo, and I think we can all point to uh, the decision on the quarterback position being the key to this. I think so. I mean, you could you, we can look at like last week. I wasn't a part of the episode, the recap there, but you could make a an okay argument that Kelly Bryant maybe doesn't get us across over the hump in that game. And and there's certainly some other games uh, earlier in the season um, where I don't know if if we're not able to put up the points that we we needed to. It might be a little bit. It could be a little closer. That aside. Um, I think we're in a position now where we actually can come closer to, the, to our ceiling. Earlier in the year, we talked about being a top 15 S&P offense would be unbelievable. And here we are, I think, number nine? Uh, seven. We're number seven. Number yeah. seven. So, so, yeah, and, and that honestly, that does not happen under Kelly Bryant. And you can see, and not to trash on him, but you can see the, um, the, the difference on the field. And this offense is performing at a level right now where you really feel like they can go up and face a team like Alabama. Um, and first, a team like Notre Dame, we have to get past. But really, you know, Trevor Lawrence has been amazing all year, and he's he's really come along as the season's gone along. Um, and again, I just think obviously it's proven to be the right decision by Dabo. Now that being said, you know, we had the Alabama game uh, uh, this weekend, Sam, and you see Jalen Hurts come in there after Tua went down uh, with an ankle injury, and great story. Hurts leads them to victory, and I mean. That was a beautiful thing to watch, and I was happy for Hurts. But everybody out there comparing uh, the the Kelly Bryant and Jalen Hurts situation are completely off base. Uh, Kelly Bryant had no eligibility left, um, and transferring him was the best decision to make for himself and his NFL prospects. Um, and honestly, if that's his dream, he has the right to pursue it. Um, we all know who the quarter, the better quarterback is, was on this team. It was Trevor Lawrence. We've, we've seen that um, as the year has gone along. But the difference between Kelly Bryant and Jalen Hurts. Hurts has a year of eligibility left. Um, so his option was either to sit out this year or go play for a JUCO team and then come back, or he could play for Bama, get some meaningful reps, and go win, possibly win a national championship, be a graduate transfer next year, and play without missing a season. Kelly Bryant didn't have that opportunity, but yet somehow people like to make that comparison. I think that comparison is going to stay relevant because they're two, the two top programs in the country – they both had starting quarterbacks who got usurped by freshmen. Um, obviously, Tua in the championship game last year, but he was well in position to always have that job this year. He was never going to lose a start to Jalen Hurts unless he got injured. Um, and Kelly Bryant, a little bit more of a battle coming into the season, but he lost that job pretty quickly. It became clear early on in the season that Trevor Lawrence was the better quarterback. Um, one interesting thing about it, though, is that we had two close games this year, and Trevor Lawrence won us neither of those games. Kelly Bryant won one, and no, Chase Bryce won the other. The legendary Chase Bryce, yes, um, he did. And in part, we haven't had close games because Trevor's been so incredible. Exactly. But uh, it just is kind of interesting that the, the two that came down to the wire came down to our two other quarterbacks. Well, he very w- m- uh, may well have an opportunity in a close game as we start to get into the playoffs and, and play better competition here. Uh, but bottom line for me is it's very possible in these two different situations that even though they were handled differently, that both teams and and, and all parties in both teams um, handled the situation the right way. Uh, there may have been some bad optics at times, something Nick Saban 
said or kind of Kelly Bryant slapping the, the face comments in the heat of the moment. But at the end of the day, I think it was for, for, for both the players and the teams, it was the right decisions uh, for all of them. Yeah, and Kelly Bryant, I don't know if you've mentioned this, he's heading to Mizzou. I think that's a good fit for him. Uh, they have a pretty hot – well, they had Drew Locke this year, who was a really solid quarterback. But they have the kind of offense where maybe he gets one year to shine and showcase his talents, um, you know. I think, like you said, I think it worked out well for all parties. They're an eight-win team. They're in the SEC East, which is not the most insurmountable uh, conference. You're essentially facing down Georgia and a Florida team who's going to be certainly improved. Um, I was wondering if he intentionally avoided the SEC West because he didn't want to face Bama again, or Auburn for that matter. Well, and again, he is he is certainly trying to build his NFL draft prospects, right, to, to go into the league as a quarterback. I mean, that that's behind all of this. He, yeah. If if he didn't have those aspirations, he would have found some other position to play on the field and probably say to Clemson. But that's that's and we may not think that he's ready. He's going to be an NFL quarterback based off of what we've seen. And that's OK. It's also OK for him to still believe in himself. If we all believed in ourselves as much as he did, we all be better off for it. Yeah, I mean, there's still a chance he makes a leap from what we've seen the last couple of years um, and becomes a you know, a draft prospect at quarterback. Right now, we don't see it, I don't think. Um, but there's always room for improvement for these guys. So if he can come out next year and, and have a little bit more accuracy, a little bit um, stronger arm, better on the deep throws, there's no reason as a running quarterback he couldn't make a run and, and make Missouri a better team and position himself for somewhere in the draft. Uh, as a quarterback well at the end of the day I think we're all gonna be rooting for him every Clemson fan should and uh, any of this uh, trash talk that you see going around on message boards and something stuff like that just stop it and move on be bigger than that be above that we're on to the college football playoff that's what we should be focusing on Um, not necessarily a quarterback battle that ended what nine weeks ago ten weeks ago um, but speaking of Alabama, uh, Alabama, again, the number one team in the, in the playoff rankings, uh, they had a good comeback against Georgia over the weekend, winning 35 to 28 in the uh, SEC championship game. And what a roller coaster of emotions uh, that game was. You start off and it's looking like Georgia might go on to blow them out. And, uh, a few different things you're thinking, you're like, well, um, if Alabama loses, you kind of want them to be blown out and get knocked out of that fourth position. Right, Cody? Because that would move Clemson up to one, and you're not necessarily looking forward to playing Alabama in the first round with giving Nick Saban a month to prepare and coming off a loss. So you're starting to see the blowout. That's what you're rooting for. But then the same game starts getting closer, and I think we all snap back to reality, and we're like, okay, okay, we need Alabama to win this game. Yeah, a couple of things there. So for one, Tua was injured. He got injured early on. I think he sprained his ankle. So he's playing the whole game, really throwing off balance. Everything about his mechanics uh, seemed to be off. That was a huge part of why Georgia was able to jump out to a lead and and why they probably should have won the game. But the second part is, so, so one, Alabama still is a juggernaut. If they played us at four, um, you don't want that matchup. Um, so that's one. The second part is we can draw something from that because you can potentially get to, if you can get home, with Tua, you can, I don't want to say inflict injury on him, but at least take him to the ground, make him think about some things because like they were mentioning it all game, he does have a propensity to sit in the pocket, let things unfold for too long, try to make things happen happen when they're not there. And so, trying, to do too, trying to do too much on first down was a big sticking point. Yeah, and I guess like, okay, back to like another Duke analogy. Sorry, guys. Um, UNLV played Duke in 1990, 1990, and they blew them out. They had Larry Johnson, a whole bunch of other great, Stacey Ogman, a bunch of great NFL players or NBA players to be. 
Um, they, they come back the next year, they return their whole lineup. They blow everyone out. And Coach K says all year long, they they haven't played in a close game. If we get if we make this game close, they haven't played in a close game. They did. They, he goes on to win uh, the 1991 championship. A very similar case with the Alabama, and that's what I kept thinking about. They haven't really played a close game. Well, they have now, and Jalen Hurts was really the the hero there, but um, Tua has not been in that. But but isn't your takeaway that they look beatable? Not really. I, I mean, you I don't yeah, think Alabama my, looks beatable. That's my takeaway. I think there was a point in the third quarter, according to ESPN's win prob- probability graphics, uh, that Georgia had a 94.5% chance of winning the game. They're up two touchdowns with the ball, third and short, uh, about nine minutes to go in the, in the third quarter. I mean, by definition, they, they are beatable, yes. Yeah, but I think the, the fact that anybody got into a position where they're up two touchdowns with the ball and driving uh, against this team in the second half is something significant. Okay, so maybe they're not beatable by the St. Peter's Peacocks. Um, Neither are we. <laughs> but but for a Clemson team that is elite on both sides of the ball, and we, we saw the defense bounce back in this game, only get up, giving up eight passing yards after giving up over 500 the week before to Jake Bentley. But, I mean, for a Clemson team, they're beatable is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, and I guess if you're factoring in a healthy uh, to a ball all game, it, they're going to be really hard to beat. Um, I don't like our chances. If you're able to get him to the ground, make him think about things, um, then then yeah, they're they're beatable. And and so then on the, the the flip side of that, we hear from Georgia. Obviously, Georgia gets knocked out of the uh, the college football playoff um, despite Kirk Herbstreit's um, uh, protests for them to be number Third. three. Come on. Um, but then you know Kirby Smart comes out and um, and that's kind of an oxymoron. Actually, he comes out arguing of why they should be in there. But listen, man, make that thirty yard field goal. Uh, to go up 31-14. Don't call that stupid fake punt on 4th and 11 um, at midfield. Like Justin Fields, as good as he is, and he may not even be on the Georgia team next year, he had no business being in that game with how well Fromm was playing. You saw with the fumble, I think, early on in the second half on that uh, um, on the sweep play, and then the botched uh, fake field goal, which Alabama clearly knew was coming because they had their defense like they're they're starting defense out there, not their punt unit. Um, so number one to call the play with Fields a fourth and eleven, the ball at Neil Field. Number two to see Alabama line up and not call a timeout. I mean that's just stupid. Yeah, it was not not a well handled game by Smart. Um, it's a little bit mean to pick on him for his name, Ben. But you're right, it wasn't Smart. It was it was just it was hard to watch the sec the second half of or the fourth quarter of that game as as they sort of crumbled and and kept giving things back and making mistakes both on the field and off. Well, and Bama was out coached in the first half. I mean, to Smart's credit, then maybe he just over yeah he was just, overthinking he things in the second half because they got the out coached then. Uh, Saban made the adjustments, and you know they he did what he does. He he outsmarted another coach. I, yeah, I think they have some real estate in his head, or they're. They're living their rent free. Um, Kirby stupid. I'm it's sure just, that, I'm, it's too easy, right? Guys, he's had this stupid smirk on his face for about the last minute after we said that, just waiting to get that out. I was wondering what I'm, it was. I'm not on Twitter. I know someone's already said it. It's, I'm sure it's a hashtag. Really, really. He had the bravado really after after doing something that dumb. He had the bravado to go on the selection show and, and make the case for Georgia. And if you're someone that likes, if you're if you're highly logical, left brain. Um, you might find some, I don't know, you, the whole 
four best teams. You might agree with that. Um, but that's where the chairman, uh, Rob Mullins, was saying it's it's an art. It's not a science, which to me, it's like, hey, we're going to we're gonna, it, that's kind of BS. Like we can't be too follow the formula too closely because there has to be a little nuance where you can't always let the four best teams in there. But I'll ask you guys, in, any, in what world is Georgia not one of the four best teams in the country? I think um, I think the committee did the right thing. I think you've got to earn it. You've got to win the games to get into the playoff. Whether or not that constitutes being the best team, meaning the most likely to win two more games in the in the season, I don't know if it's always going to be aligned. But I think best team also has to include winning the games you're supposed to win and not losing the ones you're not supposed to lose. Yeah, listen, they they had the opportunity to win it on the field and make it on the field, and they lost. I mean, neither one of you guys are answering my question, though, because it, it's supposed to be the four best teams, and uh, and that's what Mullins, they kind of abandoned that. That's the argument they made last year, but really when you sit back and think about it, listen, you've got five Power Five conferences and UCF vying for four spots, well, Notre Dame in, in the college football playoff, and some of those conferences play nine conference games, some play eight conference games, and, and a couple patsies. The, the, the SEC generally has very weak out-of-conference schedules. Um, the teams don't play each other from conference to conference. So you're just going off of the eye tests and like random common opponents that, that may happen. So you really like you, you can't when you say for, for the four best teams, that's very subjective, really, by by it's in the eye of the beholder because these teams don't get to duke it out on the field. So the best thing you can do is judge it off the games that are actually played head to head. And if Alabama beats Georgia in the game prior to the playoff, that's essentially a play-in game in my mind, and that's what's fair to me. So Georgia had their shot, and they lost. They not only had their shot, but they could have been up three scores in the in, in the second half. No, I agree with everything you guys say in terms of most deserving, but there there is a point where you're you're kind of straddling the line between most deserving and the four best teams because those are not sure. one of the same. And clearly, that this is the art artistry of it. Um, where it's not a science and it's it's having to find that mix. Well, if it's really the four best teams, then there would be three SEC teams in there every year based off the, a lot of the bias that we see. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the rankings throughout the year, you see four, five, six, seven, eight SEC teams in the rankings every every season, every week. And you see three or four ACC teams, one Pac-12 team, and Notre Dame. And to be you know, fa- and a couple to be, Big Ten. To be fair, the SEC is a better conference than every other conference, in my opinion. It still is. It's not... Um, as night and day as it used to be. They're not head and shoulders above the rest um, as it was in the recent past when they went on their run before FSU and Clemson started getting in there and winning national championships. Uh, but they're still a better conference. But they also play each other throughout the year. So that works itself out. You can't have a playoff that just puts four at three to four SEC teams in there. It's not like nobody's going to watch that. Everybody will ban in college football. Totally understand. Totally agree. All, but, I mean, the point still – I think it, it's you still can't, true. They, I think our point is that you can't know if they are one of the four best teams, and we can't give them the shot to prove it because they didn't earn that shot. Well said, Sam. The play on the field counts, and the last the defense rest. Yeah, the last thing you have to go off is that game they lost against Alabama. Um, so let's move on to, to to Oklahoma here. Well, I'm not gonna talk much about Notre Dame right now because they got to sit at home this weekend and uh, with no repercussions uh, and watch everybody else play. Oklahoma, a 39-27 win over Texas. That game was close early on. Um, I mean, kudos to Oklahoma for holding a team under 30 points. That's that's a huge coup for them. But uh, any any gripes with Oklahoma being in there at number four? I certainly don't have any. None for me. Um, I think they're one of the most explosive offensive teams in the country. They've got uh, 
very possible Heisman winner in Kyler Murray. We'll see if he or Tua take it home um, in New York, but it's going to be a fun game to watch. Hopefully they can actually put up some points against Alabama and prevent them from going for 90. Well, I, I think they will put up points and it'll be good to get some things on film for whoever wins the other matchup. Um, but it, ultimately, like they're going to get stops. Um, Alabama's defense will get stops against Kyler Murray. Absolutely. Just just as Texas got stops against them, and the reverse will not be true. So, I mean, if you like 90 to 40 games, um, kind of like the West Virginia Orange Bowl game that we experienced in 2011, it's going to have a lot of a lot of that. Was there after Oklahoma won that morning? Was there really any way Ohio State can make it in at that point? I don't think so. I mean, had they, were they, won for, by, they were playing for the Rose Bowl at that point. Yeah. Had they won by 70 points, maybe. But even then, uh, I think the way they'd ranked the teams throughout the entire season, Oklahoma was always ahead. Even after they beat, even after Ohio State beat Michigan, they jumped up a bunch of spots, still slotted right behind Oklahoma. I don't, I didn't think there was a chance that Oklahoma uh, was going to get dropped below them if with the win. Well, Ohio State's fans have uh, nobody but Urban Meyer to blame for them not being in the college football playoff this year with all the distractions he caused the team this year and was a part of. Um, but he's off uh, after the bowl game, sailing into the sunset, at least for a couple of years before he comes back to coach uh, South Carolina. He said he doesn't think he'll coach again. How more? How much more definitive do you need, Ben? Until the Gamecocks come calling. <laughs> I hope not. So, I mean, we'll, we'll say this one last thing about the – the committee, they they did have some like in, intra-year, uh, inter-year, I should say, consistency in, in their criteria in that uh, Ohio State gets left out two years in a row um, because of a bad loss. So at least that holds true, and that's always been a criticism of the committee. It's every year the criteria is different, which isn't true. I think they've done a really good job uh, in, the, in, the, in all four years. Well, we'll talk in uh, future episodes as we get into some of the downtime between now and the, the, the actual playoff games themselves. But there's, I think there's some interesting arguments to make on how to start to form an 8-18 eight, eight, playoff. Um, I know a lot of people have some hesitation to that because they don't want it to ruin the kind of the integrity of what the college football season is, the, the regular season, which is absolutely amazing. But there's ways to, to kind of roll in the championship games into that because, listen, honestly, it makes sense for them to just kind of be de facto playing games. It's kind of what they already are now. I like that. Yeah. Um, and well, what gives them purpose, right? It gives it. Otherwise, yeah. the championship games have no purpose. Yeah, they need that weight. I think uh, without them mattering, Georgia would be in, right? Um, because it's you've got to you've got to give the people that win the big games the opportunity to play in more big games. They they're earning that that slot in the playoff. Um, Alabama, us. It makes the Notre Dame situation a little bit harder because they don't have to play in that big game. They've had 12 equally even valued regular season games. Um, obviously, the ones against ranked teams count for a little more, but it's um, it's a different atmosphere in night games for, for championships. It, it changes the way players approach games, and it, it changes how it feels. Okay, well, to tie a bow on this here, um, defending champions UCF, good for them beating Memphis 56-41 to without their uh, starting quarterback after he was out for the season with a gruesome leg injury there. But, uh, again, this team goes undefeated again. They're going to play LSU, I believe, uh, in the Fiesta Bowl, so that'll be a fun game to watch. And then, finally, the Pac-12 gets left out once again. Um, Washington was the last team to make it in back when Clemson, I think, first made it four years ago and back in 2015. Or was that Michigan State? 
In Michigan State. Michigan State and then Washington 16. 16. So Pac-12, they're falling off, and they really have a long way to go to to, to make their way back in. Okay, so before we get into the the recap of the pit game here, we want to invite everybody to reach out to us and interact. You can um, contact us, clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. We're at Clemson Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And yeah, just appreciate everybody tuning in and listening from week to week. It's been fun uh, four years in a row with a podcast and the four time in a row going to the college football playoff. Um, Sam, you got something for us? Yeah, I got a quick shout out. I want to I make to Kyle Roser, uh, who let my mother-in-law know that he and his family are big fans and they listen to all of our episodes. So Kyle, thanks for listening. Yep, Kyle, certainly do appreciate it. Um, you and everyone else out there. Uh, so with that, let's get into the pit game. Okay, so the Tigers beat the Panthers 42-10, to as we mentioned. Uh, much better showing by the defense in this game, only holding Pitt to, to eight total passing yards, and the offense puts up the points that they need. It was a sloppy game a little bit. It was raining uh, pretty hard there in Charlotte, but overall, you take the win. Definitely. I mean, it, it was... I think the elements do impact us. I think uh, they, they have so far this year. I, I do think that's a factor. But um, ultimately, yeah, the, the defense came out, I think, got some redemption from the South Carolina performance. I think the offense uh, it does some things really well, uh, namely running the ball. And we got back to that. Um, ETN had a nice finish to his all-ACC uh, player of the year, you know, parade or whatever you want to call it so uh, ultimately yeah, i think we got back on the right footing but uh, all in all if you look at the last two games if we consider that championship season i think i'm a little disappointed that we didn't reach quite a quite the gear that i wanted us to reach but you know now we have four weeks to think things over well i think the good part about it is at least from the offensive standpoint they've seemed to reach that gear um and they've get, been getting better and better as the season's gone along yeah the defense has had some hiccups they gave up over 200 yards rushing in this game Um, but a lot of things are correctable. And whereas at the beginning of the season, we were thinking that the, the defense may have to compensate a little bit for this offense as it was, you know, slow to get going. It's now seeing that the offense can start to hold their own and we don't really need the defense to play necessarily as the number one defense in the country. Top 10, certainly you would still hope for that, but the offense can hold their own. I'm kind of surprised you guys are upset with the, uh, the performance this week. I was very pleased. Uh, we won 42-10. We held them to eight passing yards. They only averaged four yards a carry, which is worse than our team normally does, but it's far from bad. Um, ETN had 156 yards on 12 carries and a couple of really nice long runs. I was super happy with our outing. I, I feel like we set up nicely, um, especially in the rain. Lawrence had n- non-stellar game. Uh, he had a couple missed throws, which we can attribute to the the weather if we want. Uh, it's hard to say, but uh, I thought everybody looked pretty good. We had some interesting play calls that actually worked well. I was pretty happy with it. Yeah, I think the defense in the South Carolina was probably the game was probably the biggest thing. I'm less concerned about what we saw out there this weekend on the field. Again, you mentioned the ele- elements have a lot to do that. You give uh, um, Trevor Lawrence not rainy conditions and things probably turn out differently. Um, there's some drops by wide receivers in this game too. So it wasn't all on him, but otherwise we ran the ball. Well, the offensive line blocked well on that side of the ball. Um, yeah, there were some, there were some points left out there on the scoreboard for sure. We do that most weeks, but, but at the end of the day, it's a 32 point win. 
Yeah, and my only gripe is just the sharpness. And again, that could be attributed to the elements. If you look at the, kind of the hallmark of the last four years of our of our run, um, especially 15 and 16, when we got into this point in the year, now I guess I should give the caveat, uh, the ACC championships in the first two years, we were worn down. But you started to see a little bit more sharpness, I, I think. And you, you definitely see that from the defense, or you saw it from the defense for the most part. Um few drops like you said some some passing hiccups by guys who usually don't drop the ball and t higgins and justin ross yeah so i'm 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 not super worried or anything i just i was hoping it would be a, a very clean game offensively well and again hard to do that i mean with with the elements as they were but uh let, let's stick with this offense here uh, the number seven SP offense in the country i think they've blown our expectations out of the water we were hoping for top 25 top 15 this year uh, the Tigers have now scored 590 points on the year, breaking the school record for points in a season. They've got the most 40-point games in a season in school history with nine. So really great offensive output, if not a little bit inconsistent at times. I think you've seen games where we've relied heavy, heavily on the pass and some games where we relied heavily on the run, kind of giving, you know, we've heard this over and over again. I know people get tired of it, but giving what the defense has taken us and you know what? That's the philosophy of this this offensive brain trust and the play calling. And to be honest, it's worked. Um, you can't it, – it's hard to look at many of our games this year where you can – especially since Trevor Lawrence became the starter where offense was an issue. Now, you can point to certain things, and I think we'll, we'll – let's look at this game. Um, improving first down play calling – just setting yourself up better for second down and third down, giving you short distances there. We're only 4 of 12 on third down in this game. So I think that's one area we can certainly look to for improvement. Yeah, I thought um, we definitely had, like you guys mentioned, we had some drop passes and it wasn't as sharp as we wanted. Um, something that I really thought was interesting is the, there were a few pretty clear, in my mind, pass interference calls that didn't get called on our receivers this week. Uh, Ross and Higgins each had one that was was pretty obvious where the guys were getting their extremely early smacking at the arms. They ended up not getting called. Um, I, you know, we can't always blame the refs, and obviously in a 32 point win, it's it's hard to be too upset with anything. But um, that was something that I that stood out to me when I was watching the game. Yeah, well, listen, their their wide receivers were or sorry, their defensive backs were playing really physical in our wide receivers, and they actually did a lot of times do a good job at turning their, their heads around and looking for the ball. And I think that probably helped uh, eliminate some of those uh, pass interference calls, but you know, it's a learning moment for these, these young wide receivers. Um, and for the most part, guys like Ross and Higgins have been really physical this year. Um, we know what Hunter Renfro is capable of and Trevor, uh, Trevor Thompson is probably our toughest wide receiver out there. Um, but it's, it's just another uh, test for this team and something to, to, to learn and grow from because you know, Notre Dame's defense and Alabama's defense are going to be physical. Yeah, and that's what I keep thinking through. Like, and I, I, you know, I would never be like negative about winning an ACC championship normally, but you do, you do have to raise the bar and think in terms of how does this game translate. And I'm, I'm thinking about our offense. How would this translate against an Alabama or Notre Dame, who, by the way, has a pretty good defensive line? Not Alabama's defensive line, but they're good. They're gonna, they're gonna get in there um, and, and pressure Lawrence. Um, so I, 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 it's hard to really garner a whole lot. Um, so if you if you go back to the South Carolina game, their their defensive line minus Josh Belk, that's a good player right there. But they, they were getting no pressure. It's going to the Belk Bowl, by the way. <laughs> they were getting that's no. That's awesome. 
Okay, so they were getting no pressure on uh, Trevor Lawrence. So it's like it's hard to say, well, you know, is that going to kind of look anything like what yeah. Notre Dame will throw at him? Certainly. You cannot judge uh, the success of this offense by the South Carolina defense and what they were able to do against them because that was one of the most pathetic defenses we've seen all year. Yeah, I mean, in Pitt, I, I think they did a great job in coverage on, on the back end. Uh, they made it. They made life tough on our receivers, probably a pass interference or two that was not called, as Sam said. But mostly, like, you want to see what Trevor Lawrence does in that situation. Against A&M, he was brand new on the road, first time ever. And I don't think he – he didn't look great, aside from one early pass to T. Higgins, um, where he did – where I did see some things from him, it was against Florida State. So they that was a good defensive line, uh, probably in line with Notre Dame's. So he, he was responding. It took him a little while, but he was responding after that first quarter, making the right reads. Um, so, I you know, ultimately, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking what – I can uh, what I can map this to, and, well, and think, there's not a whole lot. I think the thing to give him credit for and to be excited about is his improved running ability that we've we've started to see. He's got some quickness and some speed. He showed it again in this game, and again, if the elements aren't in your favor and you're having trouble throwing the ball, if your quarterback can get out and run, that's a huge benefit to to this team. You've seen what Deshaun Watson uh, was able to do. Um, Kelly Bryant, a little bit different story because not a pass oriented offense with him in there, but Trevor Lawrence. He's showing that flash of that running ability, and that's really n- nice to see. Yeah, that run in the third quarter was great. The cut up field after getting out past the uh, the defensive line who was hot in pursuit was a great run. Um, I thought something that was was good and will carry over, I think, to the Notre Dame game at least, was that aggressive secondary coverage is something that Notre Dame does as well. Um, their secondary is super aggressive, and they look for interceptions. Uh, if you watch the Syracuse game where they absolutely shut down DeVito after uh, after Syracuse's starting quarterback got hurt, they were just waiting on every single pass and looking to intercept it and knock it down. Uh, and I think we it's obviously at another level. Notre Dame's secondary is a lot better than Pitt's, but the style of play was similar, and we're going to get a lot of that press coverage and uh, bump and run type coverage that we haven't seen a ton of this year. We've seen it a little bit in other games, but... Um, I think our guys need to be prepared to get beat up a bit in a game against Notre Dame. I think so. And, but we, we would like those matchups, especially on the end. And if, if you can't point to one thing, well, the whole um, allowing Trevor to, to keep the ball in the zone reads where he's, he's got it. You're right. He's gotten a lot better at, at getting to the outside. And we've gone to Edian enough where it's like that is that is option A, B, and C. And then option D will be um, allowing Trevor Lawrence to run. I think we should for the playoff. I think you do put – there's an inherent risk every time he runs the ball. I think it's it's worth the risk in the playoff. Um, so he does look good there. And then, Sam, as you said, I think there's some matchups when you do get T. Higgins and Justin Ross out there that you can win. And you can and the route will unfold quickly enough such that if a defensive line gets pressure, um, it won't. we can still capitalize. So those are the things that I think of that will translate against the best defenses. So and let's not forget about that great flea flicker pass to Ross who couldn't quite get it in the so end zone close. with all that pressure um, on Trevor Lawrence. That was a thing of beauty up there, except for the fact that he didn't score. He looked like a shortstop uh, that, when he got the flea flicker, like, you know, on a double play. It was, ew, that was really pretty. Um, you know, one thing, there's been really no tight end involvement in, in recent weeks. And I'm not saying that's something to be concerned about. That's just something of interest to point out. I think Braden Galloway at this point has already burned his red shirt. He's played more than four games. But I don't wonder if they take this time over the next uh, few weeks here in practice and the time that we have all, um, 
have off to really start polishing that up. And if that's something they've been keeping in their back pocket to pull out and show in the playoffs. I definitely think it is. It is something they're planning to use in the playoff. Uh, You've seen Galloway come on for maybe three snaps in a game or two. And every time he's in, he runs a skinny post and gets targeted. They always throw it at him. He's caught one or two. He's missed one or two. Uh, But I think it's definitely a play that they're, that Notre Dame is going to be ready for, but uh, that we're going to use because he is so much faster and bigger than your typical tight end. And he has decent hands if the ball gets to him. So I, I would look for it. Absolutely. At least once or twice in each of our remaining games. Yeah. And so uh, we'll finish up with the running game here. Um, Travis Etienne, the quickest score all time in ACC championship game history. Took a few seconds. First play from scrimmage. Um, he followed that up uh, with a, yeah, that said that was a 75 yard TD run. And he followed that up with a 45 yard TD run later on in the game. Sam, as you mentioned, 156 yards on the day on only 12 carries. And that stat line is part of the reason why he's not invited to New York. He's just not getting the volume of carries that is going to be required to see him get to New York. I think only one time this year has he gone over 20, but it only takes him 10 carries to get 150 yards quite often. So what are you going to do? You know, I mean, first play from scrimmage, he takes the ball, goes 75 yards. Next series, Feaster's in there to spell him. Yeah, I totally think he could be in New York if the coaches wanted to make that a priority, getting a player into New York, into New York and, and possibly winning. Probably not this year, but most years. Etienne could have been that guy, especially against our, our lackluster schedule. But it's it's more important to have him healthy, and that was that's obviously the goal. Um, we'll see what will be interesting to see the the distribution of of snaps for the playoff. I'm really hoping, just in general across all position groups, we're not going any deeper than two deep. So maybe that's Feaster, maybe it's Choice, but I want to see Etienne get something close to like 70 percent of the carries. Yeah, I think what we've seen the last few weeks uh, and throughout the season is that we just don't run it as much as we could. Uh, we ran fewer plays this week than we normally do, but it was a pretty even split pass to run. Uh, in the rain, you'd expect it to be a little bit heavier run than it, even than it was. Um, but ETN only got a third of our carries. So I think, Cody, to your point, uh, he's going to get more of those going forward. You're not going to have three from Darian Wrencher. You're not going to have four from Lynn J. Dixon. Uh, Adam Choice had seven. Feaster had five. If he gets two or three or one or two from each of those guys, he's up at that 20 mark, which I think is probably a good spot for us to shoot for for him. Uh, well, it, it keeps him fresh and healthy, which you saw him wear down a little bit last year in his freshman campaign. And to be honest with you, a Heisman Trophy is not one of the goals of this team that's set out at the beginning of the year. It's win the first game. It's uh, win the conference. Uh, or you know, Win your division. Win the state. Win the conference. And then go to the playoff and win a national championship. Nowhere in there is Heisman Trophy. Um, and that's the culture that Dabo builds, uh, with the Clemson football program. It's no one person. So it's disappointing. I think for certain, uh, Travis Etienne is a Heisman caliber player. Will we ever see that? I don't know. Um, he's going to have a lot of competition from a certain long haired, uh, quarterback on his team next year. So it probably won't be likely then well, either. Well, not two finalists next year. Could be. Well, not to mention Tavion Feaster has 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 run better and better as this year has gone along. He ran really well and tough. Uh, some of his toughest running all season in this game. And then Lynn J. Dixon, of course, is going to continue to to thrive and flourish. So it's going to be a three headed monster at the very least next year. Adam Choice will be gone to graduation. 
Um, but yeah, I don't know if I see things changing next year. He may get a few more carries, average maybe 15 a game, but 20 is a long shot. One thing I, I'd like us to think through, we have a, an award show we call the Watsons every year, and we won't we don't have to talk about it right now, but where, where does ETN rank in terms of all-time Clemson running backs? And, and you could project a, another season like this season next year, and He's certainly got he's got to be up there by by the stats, by the ad test, by every measure you could possibly think of. Yeah, I think so. And honestly, when I look at him, I think he could be best positioned to be a successful NFL running back, which we haven't seen from some of the flashing running backs, CJ Spiller, James Davis, Ellington. Yeah, they had they've all had Spiller and ETN careers. had decent careers, but never Injuries never really to the same them. level, exactly. Never really the same level of success that they found at Clemson, but Injuries certainly having um, a lot to do with that. Um, but overall, you know, those guys ran well. They ran behind the offensive line block well in this game. Um, it, yeah, it was a little sloppy, but again, chalk that up to the elements. And at the end of the day, the, the team put up 42 points. So that wraps it up for the offensive side of the ball. Let's uh, talk about the defense. Okay, this number one S&P defense bounces back again from uh, giving up over 500 yards passing to Jake Bentley by only allowing eight passing yards in this game to Pitt. But I think, uh, and I, I don't know how concerning this is, um, did give up 218 yards on the ground. That was a season high for this Clemson defense. That was someone unexpected. Yet their their average was low, on the low end, in the four yards of carry range, I think you said, Sam. But, uh, you know, Cody, is this something to be concerned about? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think what happened in this one is the defensive line Lyman, we're, we're a little bit overzealous. It's, probably, it's their last ACC game. It's a championship. I think they they knew we had the game in hand, so they were getting a little bit too upfield or into the backfield and, and not staying true to their assignment. And I think that's where a team like Pitt, that's well coached, will, will sense that, and, and, they, and they were able to get yards that way. Yeah, they were getting a little aggressive in their, in their rush lanes and then also had some tackles for loss that they missed. Yeah, we had a bunch of missed tackles throughout this game. Uh, first half, especially, we had some slips and some some guys who had hands on people that didn't pull them down. Um, but the defense came out so aggressive and so amped up. It's not surprising that they overdid it a little bit at points in the game. Um, our defensive tackles looked incredible this week. I thought uh, Wilkins and, and Lawrence were just everywhere. Um, they both ended up with multiple tackles for loss. Uh, Dex had a really nice sack. They had 10 tackles combined. It was, um, they were killing it. Um, yeah, nine pit drives for four plays or less. Uh, five of their possessions ended behind the chains. So I mean, you look at those stats, and that certainly points to a successful defensive outing. The, the missed tackles, I, I think, were a thing to look at. And some uncharacteristic missed tackles. You saw Tanner Muse in this game miss some. And he, he that's one thing that he has been uh, really improved upon this season. And one of his strong suits and just kind of had an off game. Yeah, and you look back to like the 2015 ACC championship where Jerron Curse, he was clearly hurt and the, the team was real. I mean, man, they had really went through a long season. It's same same situation here. Uh, what, what are we, 13 games in now? So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say that that's – there's definitely some fundamentals, some technique there, some you – know, your angle of pursuit where, you know, you, I think Isaiah Simmons was he's, – he's been a little bit guilty of taking bad angles. But ultimately, I think a lot of these things can be corrected just through – four weeks of rest and a lot of uh, film watching. 
Yeah, I think it's really going to come down to assignment football, and that's what this team needs to focus on and polish up on. I'm I'm not worried so much about the over 200 yards or missed tackles because for the most part, this team has tackled very well all year long. The thorn in our side in the in the couple games where it was an issue was coverage and assignments in the in the, in the secondary and on the linebackers. So that's what needs to be approved upon this year. We're going to play uh, book uh, from Notre Dame and then possibly Tua or heck, even Jalen Hurts, who has not played a lot this year, but is an improved passer. Um, so the quality of the competition is certainly going to improve, and that's going to test our secondary linebackers in coverage. Yeah, I think one interesting thing from the, the game for me was the number of false starts, delay of games, and um, illegal shifts that Pitt had. They had five Ooh, or Well, we had a holding call. They called a holding call for I us. Know. Yeah, that was like number two on the year. Uh, but the first half, in the first half, Pitt had three false starts and a delay a game. Second half, they had a delay a game and a legal shift and a false start. Um, is that um, a combination of fear of our defensive line? Is it just them being antsy? Like, that's way more um, line penalties and illegal shift, like pre snap penalties, than we've seen from other teams. I don't think that's something that can carry uh, through to future games, but is that, you know, because we were in Charlotte and it felt like a home game, it's a lot of factors, but I, I just thought it was pretty interesting that, that Pitt struggled so much to get the ball snapped without yeah. messing up. And that's funny because usually in those situations, you find a road team doing that in a hostile environment. Now, I know it was a de facto kind of home game for Clemson, but the environment of Bank of America Stadium in an AC, rainy ACC championship game is not the same as it would be in Death Valley. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, there's a Christian Wilkins, a Dexter Lawrence. Yeah, you, you can go on down the list. If there's just one of those guys on a defensive line, you probably you might draw a penalty. But when there's four, I think there's a little strain across the board. Then uh, and you do un- you do things uncharacteristic. Do you think that <clears throat> holds true for Oklahoma, Alabama, Notre Dame? If we play, if and when we play them, uh, possibly. Um, the I think just getting home is the biggest thing in this, in this game, we didn't like, like you said, Ben, there weren't enough opportunities to put our secondary and our linebackers in, in conflict. Uh, and with Bentley, he was able to stand in there. They weren't able to get home. Will, will they be able to do the same against book? He, by the way, really high completions, completion percentage likes to get it out quickly. Um, it, that'll be interesting. Let me say this, uh, having Trey Lamar back. That was huge. It's so he's so important to this to this team. He moves so quick, and it's nothing against the Davis guys. Uh, you know, props to both of those both of them for coming along like they have in their career. But having Trey Lamar in and, and getting Jamie Skalski back, by the way, such a huge positive. Yeah, he'll play for the remaining games this year. He's, he had played one game previously this year against Georgia Tech, so he's got two more after playing in the pit games. So our linebackers, and on special speed. teams, that's huge. There you go. So our linebacker speed just just got a huge shot in the arm. I mean, Trey Lamar at 250 has no right running running to the side running the sideline to sideline as fast as he does, but it, it makes a huge difference every play. All right. So, but before we finish off on the defense here, let's uh, let's not uh, kind of brush past the really black eye from this game on the defensive side of the ball. And that was Christian Wilkins' uh, inability to make it into the end zone on his fumble recovery. He was trying so hard, though. He looked so pissed off afterwards. He looked on that play, and he never looked slow. On that play, once the ball got got in his hands, he looked slow. 
He looked like he was laboring. He was trying so hard, but he couldn't he's gonna quite blame, finish. He's going to blame that on the field conditions, I'm sure. What defensive tackle in the country, like you can probably count them on one hand, would have been able to make get the ball and, and make the cut there at, the way he did and said, I'm going for the touchdown and not just fall down on the ground? The agility's there. It's just not that the top end speed is, is lacking. Um, we had two plays like that this game where somebody had the ball in their hands. They were trying to make it to the end zone. Justin Ross on the flea flicker was the same thing. It's like, just a little bit more, and they couldn't quite finish him off. First world problems, right, guys? Um, so special teams real quick. Um, we continue moving the wrong way in the rankings, and special teams were number 99 now in the country. Good thing is Bama's like in the 90s as well. Um, uh, yeah, that's about right, Ben. Will Spears, <laughs> what, what are we going to – what do we do there? What do we do about the punting? Why is it so bad? And why, when he doesn't need to boom a ball 63, 63 yards, he kicks one sixty-three yards into that's, the end zone? That's the most frustrating thing for me is that he has the leg, and on certain plays, he can crush it. Uh, he did have one really good play besides that 63-yard punt uh, when we were backed up in the end zone. He made a good recovery on a bad low snap and got it out. It wasn't a stellar punt, but it's way better than taking a safety. Oh, um, it's better than um, him kicking a rugby punt into the back of his long snapper. Yeah, that was bad. Um, he's just, he's so inconsistent. Um, he's got the talent. It's there. He can make the kicks. He just half the time doesn't. Well, and and to compound that a little bit, opponents are noticing that he's slow to get the ball off too, and they're really starting to come after him. So I looked at that in the playoff, especially against a team like Alabama, Nick Saban being aggressive. Um, that could become a factor. And lastly, it's become very apparent that if we're fourth and short in the red zone, that we're not going to kick and field goals anymore. Um, a, because we have the personnel to do it, and B, because – or the personnel to convert. B, because Hugel's just not been the same this year um, for whatever reason that is. Um, so we'll look forward to uh, improvements in that category next year and just hope that that does not cost us a championship this year. So that wraps it up for our pit recap. Um, just another great undefeated regular season and conference championship for the Clemson Tigers. Um, this stuff never gets old, boys. Uh, I will say this, though. Every single s- s- things have changed in these past four years, whereas it used to be every single season, first game of the year, and many other games throughout the season, I'd be giddy and butterflies going into them. And i got to be honest with you, I think the first giddiness I felt was coming into this ACC championship game this year, um, knowing what was at stake and what was on the line, it's just when you're so much better than the level of competition, you're blowing people out of the water, and then we open the season with uh, who do we open with this year? Furman um, or something like that. Like That's nothing to get excited about. The Texas A&M game I was, but um, it's really it, – it, it took me a second to think and be like, wow, we've only got three games left when we went into the ACC championship game, possibly only two. Um and I didn't even think about that until the end of the year. Whereas in the past, halfway through the season, I'd be like, oh, man, half the season's almost gone. But we've got so much more to play for this year. Teams like Clemson and Alabama, the postseason is what you're playing for. Like, it, it's nothing uh, – the season for now is for not without that, which really kind of diminishes some of my excitement during the year because I just want us to hurry up and get there and start playing these meaningful games. Yeah, Ben, I, I agree. Uh, we had – Eight games in a row to end the season where we won by 20, 20 plus points. That included rivalry games. That included ACC championship game. That included uh, matched uh, ranking, playing game against ranked teams in NC State and BC. Um, it just, the teams that were supposed to be good were not that good. I mean, and we 
crushed everyone. Cody, could you imagine going through this season with the schedule we played? Had we slipped up and lost somewhere towards the end and that cost us a playoff? Looking back on the season, how boring would that have been? And just kind of a waste, it feels like. I think so. I mean, and you look at some of the the earlier years, like the 2011 team, we started out, we started out eight and no. And you, frankly, I don't think that team could have got through this schedule, even though it was a really, really bad schedule. Um, but there was some, there was more excitement on a week to week basis. It, yeah, you're right. This was, it was, it would have been very anticlimactic and, um, and I, I'll take this though. I'm, I'm, no, I'm not. Yeah. We're not taking anything for granted here. We're just kind yeah. of, that's how the emotions go when, and the expectations of, are so high. Well, part of what we we've experienced too in our rise is a little bit of the the ACC peaking as well. And you could say, well, the ACC ACC is having a down year this year, and really they're just back to the normal ACC of old, which is very bad. Minus Florida State, who's joined the the slums of of the ACC underworld. Yeah, I think it's more fair to say that two years ago that um, the ACC had an up year. Yeah, right, right. That was the exception, not the rule. We're we're back, we're back to normalcy here. Well, so it has its benefits. It makes the regular season schedule e- easier. Makes it more likely that this Clemson team will go undefeated as they did this year. So, hey, at this point, just keep winning, and let's talk about the playoffs. Okay, guys, let's talk about real quick um, an early look at how this college football playoff sets up. You got Alabama. Oklahoma in the 1-4 matchup, Clemson 2-3 uh, with Notre Dame in that matchup. Um, let's start with Alabama. Do you give Oklahoma a chance at all with their high-flying offense but little to no defense? I don't think we can give them a chance. Uh, it's just they're so much worse defensively. Uh, 91st overall in, in points allowed this year, um, and I think like 107th or something like that in, uh, in yards allowed. It's just, it's going to be ugly. Alabama is going to run all over them. Yeah, frankly, I'm surprised with the 14 point spread. I don't think, I I just can't envision, it, w- it would take a Tua injury and just uh, some really funky things to happen in the way of turnovers. I For for that to, to come out, in my opinion, at 14 points, there's just, like you said, Sam, last year's Oklahoma team, that, that defense was okay, okay to get a stop here and there. Um, just enough so their offense could make it a game against against a Georgia. This year, I, I literally Alabama will they ran all over Georgia's 15th ranked defense. <laughs> they're they're going to run all over Oklahoma. Oklahoma is 89th in S and P defense. Right, 89th. I'm, I'm surprised it's that high. Is, you think it's fair to say that Oklahoma would have to score at minimum 50 points against Al, either Alabama or Clemson to have a chance at winning the game? I think they might be able to get by with 45, but it's going to be in that range. That was my thought. My thought was, I think Oklahoma will have a hard time on offense scoring 40 points against Bama. That's not unreasonable to think. It's a really good Alabama defense. Well, we've seen these high-flying Oklahoma offenses be shut down before against better defense. It didn't happen last year against Georgia, so maybe that's a comparison that we can make. Um, How well they did play, ultimately losing that game, though. But, um, yeah, I just not... I don't see that much changing. It's the same philosophy. It's the same style players. I know Kyler Murray is great, but so is Baker Mayfield. That never brought him there. They haven't approved any on defense. Um, and they actually hasn't really been any better since Ruffin McNeil took over after they got rid of Mike Stoops. Yeah, I mean, the only chance for Oklahoma is that they are far and away the best offensive team in the country this year. Um, their, rate, their ranking rating in S&P – uh, offense is 
The gap to Alabama at number two is is almost six full points. Uh, and the gap between Alabama and Oklahoma State at 10th is six points. So there's a huge gap there, but I just don't think it's going to be enough. All I can think of, Sam, is everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah, the Mike Tyson quote. Yeah. Great quote. <laughs> and Oklahoma hasn't been punched in the mouth, but indeed they will will be punched in the mouth uh, on the, during the semi against Bama. I think that's safe to say. And although Alabama's defense started off a little bit slow this year, they've consistently risen in the rankings, uh, which I believe they're now they're a top 10 de- uh, defense right yeah, now. Yeah, they're number eight. Yeah, number eight. Uh, one sp- or, sorry, seven spots behind Clemson, but still in the top 10 which is uh, a lot better than Oklahoma's had to face this year. Exactly. And, and the whole grain of salt with Alabama's defense is they haven't had to play. They've had the same kind of luxuries we've had uh, with, yeah. with Tua being so great on offense. I've watched Alabama play like six games this year. That's that's every bit of a top three defense. It, it's a really good – it's it's close to as good as, as good as ours, at least in the back end. It's certainly better. And a rugged Texas defense ranked 55th in the S&P ratings was able to hold Oklahoma below 40 points. So That was quite shocking, actually, that game being as low scoring. I mean, we say low scoring. What is it, 39 to 28, 27? Um, for the Big 12 to go to have a game like that, that is kind of a head scratcher. But, yeah, I don't – I just think at the end of the day, Alabama is an elite football team. I think Oklahoma is an elite offense Maybe, but they're not an elite football team. So to use the transitive property, we we just were, lived in a world on Saturday where Georgia should have beaten Bama. Now, we can't see a world where Oklahoma will beat Bama, yet we, on some way, could see Oklahoma as the better team over Georgia. Transitive property. Well, and I don't want to say that Oklahoma doesn't have a chance at winning because, again, we saw what they did against Georgia last year. And Georgia, that same Georgia team took Alabama to overtime. And that was uh, a really good Georgia defense, too, it, by it, the way. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it did happen. It has happened before. So I think we got to see how things play out. Um, but, yes, Cody, I understand what you're saying. But, again, Alabama, Georgia, they played it out on the field. Alabama won the, won the right to advance. And there's no use talking about that anymore. Um, Clemson, Notre Dame, uh, the team we love to hate. I got to say, Notre Dame deserves it. They went undefeated. I don't think one, um, well, it's hard to compare. Probably should have been a Clemson, Notre Dame ACC championship game, to be honest with you. That would have been interesting. Uh, Notre Dame really should join a conference. Um, I mean, they've been left out of things before because they don't have that conference championship to play and to win. Uh, I, I agree though, Ben, this year they earned their spot in this playoff 12 and 0 they're uh, number six overall on S and P behind uh, Georgia and Michigan, two teams that didn't make the, the playoff. Um, but they are the number four defense. They're just, I, I, I'm not worried. <laughs> They're good. They're very good. And yeah, the I'm say, I, I feel the exact same way. I'm not worried at all. I don't want to sound smug about that, but you know, just oh, Notre Dame's just been overhyped year after year. And listen, their schedule's nothing to to write home about. It's it's six ACC teams, six seven ACC games, whatever they play. And we know how bad the ACC is. Uh, Southern Cal are they even playing in a bowl? Um, <laughs> Michigan, yeah, okay, but we saw what happened that Michigan defense against Ohio State. So, Ben, I feel like you're reading off the Tiger Net comment board. So, what you, what do you see from them this year, though? Like, what would you say about them 
in the within the vacuum of this season, like what what is it about them offensive defensively that we're going to be able to contend with? Well, I think there is a lot of tape out on Ian Book right now, and I think that's something that uh, nobody had when he first. Uh, stepped in for Winbush at the beginning of the year. So that's going to give this uh, defensive coaching staff a lot of time to analyze that tape and I think find some of his weaknesses. They did not play as well towards the end of the year. They had the close game against USC there to close out the year. They had the close game against Pitt. Sam, who else? Uh, yeah, they were close with Michigan early in the year. They lost by seven. It was not quite as close to during To be fair, the game. that was with one Bush at quarterback. It was. Um, but they beat Ball State by eight. They beat Vandy by five. Like, these are not – they beat Pitt, Pitt by five. It wasn't like they were blowing teams out for most of the year. And the teams they did blow out, Michigan is far and away their best win. Northwestern probably their second best, which was a 10-point win in early November. Um, I, I just don't see it. I mean – one speaking of things that I think we can uh, exploit potentially, Cody, is when Ian Book gets pressured, he really, really relies on his two big receivers, Boykin and Claypool, um, which they are really good. They're really big. They can go up and get balls just like R2 can. Uh, but when he's under pressure, he'll just float it up to them in the air and uh, rely on them to go up and win that battle. Mm, Trayvon Mullen, I don't worry about getting... Um, bested in those scenarios. And I think AJ uh, can hold his own. And if our safeties can play a little bit uh, aggressively on those sorts of plays where we're getting a lot of pressure on book, I think we can capitalize and get a a turnover or two. That's interesting. I I haven't watched Notre Dame as much this year, um, but from what I've seen, he's more of the Ryan Finley, Ryan Finley mode of, of get it out. Um, Not great arm strength, but more just great accuracy. Um, like you said, he's he's hitting big receivers. That's so that's part. They don't have uh, they don't have the kind of like Jerry Judy's um, of the world. That's gonna the, the playmakers um, that can hurt you in space. And the thing that's really killed us, the Jake Bentley part, are those those inside posts where where we where opposing teams are able to put our safeties in conflict. I don't see Ian Book sitting in the pocket long enough to let those things unfold. I don't see that as his skill set. That bodes well for us, but maybe it is. Again, we'll, we'll do some more uh, film review and, and make that determination then. How about on the defensive side of the ball for Notre Dame? They're, well, they're very sound. What are, they're, did you say they're number three? Is they're that right? four. Yeah, four in number SP four. defense. So the, probably the best defensive line I've seen from them, which I think is notable because A&M had a good defensive line. Florida State had a good defensive line, and they both gave us our fair share of trouble. Um but not a ton of speed on the back end, not a ton of playmakers where you're like, wow, that's a game changer. So I still think we're going to be able to find balance within our offense, both passing um, to our big receivers as well as ETN in the run game. Yeah, I think, I mean, I will say this about Notre Dame. They're going to be the best team we, we've played all year. And I think that's a fact. Um, I could certainly see this game being close, but also this Clemson football team is more in the mold of the 2015, 2016 teams that blew out their first round opponents uh, than the Clemson team last year that had to face Alabama in the first round. So it would also not surprise me to see a blowout. Yeah, I think um, ETN's not going to have too much trouble. If we can get holes through the line, uh, which the line is strong, but if he can break tackles and get through that line, um, they're 18th in S&P Plus defense um, for rushing defense and 8th for passing. Um, and so I, I just – Trevor's – 
maybe not going to be as big a factor in this one. I think the running game is going to be what's going to carry us over the top against them offensively, probably. And defensively, we're going to shut them down as well as we have everyone else, I think, uh, excluding South Carolina. So I don't want to miscast them, but they they have a bit of, to your point, Sam, a little of like the Atlanta Braves syndrome of they're built for the regular season. There's balance across all through their depth chart, offense, defense. Um, on defense, they do a lot of real things well, if not really well. But when it comes to the postseason, it's it's do you have the high end talent, the the ace pitcher, um, the home run, the slugger, and they I just don't see that there's nothing they do really at an elite level that's like wow that's going to be hard to contend with. Yeah, I think Book to Boykin is their their best connection, their strongest offensive strength, uh, thing that they can hurt us most with. Um, if we stick tra- Trayvon Mullen on him, I think he can hold him at least to a reasonable game. Uh, they're, <clears throat> they're running offense. Dexter Williams has, uh, he'll have a thousand, uh, uh, for the season, assuming he gets 60 yards against us, which not unreasonable. Um, but that's on 142 carries. It's not like he's somebody who's getting sparse touches and taking them for 10 yards a carry like Lynn J Dixon. Um, he's a solid running back who will run through some tackles. He's a pretty big guy. Um, but it's just none of the the players on their roster are those totally scary playmakers, like you said. Well, listen, we're going to find out on December 29th, and that's going to be coming up very shortly. Um, again, we haven't really started to break down Notre Dame quite yet, so we'll do that here over the next coming weeks, give us some time to look at some, uh, some tape, read up on them, and learn a little bit more about them, and we'll be back with you uh, with a preview. But between now and then, we're going to have an early signing period in college football, so let's talk recruiting real quick. Uh, Cody, things are starting to move here uh, on the recruiting wire. We see uh, Joseph Nagata and Andrew Booth uh, get their fifth stars on rivals uh, coming out today. Um, and we've got some big name offensive line targets that we're going after. Uh, catch us up here. We, well, first off, this is we're at 24 commitments overall right now. We could get to 30. This is unlike any of the last, the previous three seasons. And it's, it's we're we're on path to be it's on path to be one of the better uh, Clemson classes maybe of all time. And we'll it, I think a lot will depend on the finish. What we need are a couple of offensive linemen. Um, we, we're we're in the hunt. Or a couple guys. Um, one is Clay Webb out of Alabama, down to Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson. I wouldn't say he's a lean, but apparently he's a guy that keeps things close to the vest. We've done we've done a pretty solid job. And then there's there's Will Putnam, an, uh, an offensive guard, I believe, out of Plant, Florida. So um, if any one of those guys can come through, um, that gives us a two person class. Maybe we take a kind of a lower rank guy towards the end. But it really, I mean, we're starting to lock up some guys in the 2020 class in the offensive line, but those guys aren't going to contribute for four years down the road. We absolutely need one of these two guys. That are, maybe we get in the hunt for Harry Miller, which is uh, one of the Ohio State highly ranked uh, offensive linemen that you know potentially could decommit. But um, I, I think how we ultimately define this class or how we size this class up will come down to the offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. And and really, that's uh, no surprise there. We've been talking about it for quite some time. But you've seen this coaching staff uh, really be able to eye their targets and go in and get them. Um, and when things come down to the wire, so we hope uh, that's certainly the case this year because 
if we can get a couple offensive linemen on board that are highly recruited, like you said, Cody, I think this turns in one to one of the best Clemson uh, recruiting class, class of all time. After those shift in the stars today, uh, Clemson's up to number three on rivals behind Texas A&M and Alabama, and I expect as things continue to unfold, we'll probably pass A&M, Bama. Probably a long shot, but we'll see how things play out. And you could say, like, how could you say this my, isn't one of the best classes or it, how you could you grade this class based off of the offensive line? Well, you, you could you could make a fair argument. That's the most uh, important position group. So any year you go into recruiting, like, did you address your needs? And if, if we were to miss there, then you could say, well, we... Yeah, other position groups can compensate for uh, weak, weak play from others, except for the offensive line. There's really nobody out there that can uh, help you recover when your offensive line can't block anybody. Absolutely. And, and overall, though, uh, like Nagata, I've really liked I really like his film. I really like Booth. Uh, Crouch is a guy that we have a chance for out of North Carolina, who I'm not sure if he's playing linebacker or running back, but he could play either either or um, highly talented um, up and down. I mean, we have uh, certainly a, a good core of players that, and a lot of a lot of more developmental players, too. So um Luckily, you can complement this class with the, the previous class where it was a lot of high-end talent. Um, so you, you have the luxury of allowing these guys a little, little bit of time to develop. And, uh, and that's what we did. I think we, we found the right fits, regardless if they were three or four-star. And we also looked at upside potential. And you're kind of putting a lot of faith into your strength and, strength and conditioning, your ability to develop players. So, um, and good, let's good not class. forget about a three-star kicker, Aiden Swanson. Three-star kicker. It's a kicker with stars. Um, so yeah, that wraps it up. Uh, we will be back here over the next few weeks. We will try to get Quack and Tiger from Shaken Southland on to talk about the recruiting. And we will continue to dive into these uh, four teams in the college football playoff as we get closer to it for the fourth year in a row. It's, uh, it's been, again, a fantastic four years rooting on the Clemson Tigers. And um, it's just become the norm to, to, to be back in this position. So, um, Again, we'll be back. We will try to give you guys, again, we're out here in San Francisco, so we're going to try to put together a show where we give some people some tips on what to do out here. To be honest with you, Santa Clara is probably the worst place in the world to have a college football championship game, but we'll get that at a later point. Um, and in addition to the football stuff, Sam and I are going to sit down and record a basketball season preview next weekend. That is um, unless the team continues to play as bad as they, they did tonight. I mean, we'll still have to do the preview at some point. No, we don't. We have, we have free will, Sam. This is not a job. This is a hobby. I'd like to do the preview at some point. But, uh, yeah, if we play like we did tonight, uh, hopefully Marquise Reed is okay. He got injured late in that game. Uh, the team has looked less, uh, less than stellar, and we're hoping that they can come into form for the rest of the year. The shooting needs to pick up a little bit if we're going to make any sort of run this year. Okay, so yeah, Sam may be back by himself to do a basketball preview. I can talk to myself about (laughs) basketball for an hour. That'd be great. Um, And once again, thank you all for listening to us. Um, Again, you can reach out to us at ClemsonPodcast at gmail.com, at ClemsonPodcast on Facebook and Twitter. Please subscribe to us on any of your uh, favorite podcasting apps and go to iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, We appreciate all of those. So once again, the Tigers back in the playoffs. So until next time, and as always, go Tigers. for our family it's not it's not this is not for just us this is for the Taj Boyds the Stephon Anthony's the Grady Jarrett's the new cop Sammy Watkins y'all built this 
Y'all started this foundation, and all we did is build upon it, and we finished it. It's been 35 long years. Clemson, y'all been waiting 35 years. It's finally coming home, baby. It's coming home.